All right, so good morning, everybody. Uh, you know, it's, you guys all seem pretty chipper, I'm not going to lie, considering we lost an hour last night. I actually totally forgot, and, well, so I mean, I, I guess I remembered this morning, so I got here on time, but I went to bed, like, even, like, later than usual, and then was just like, oh, snap, missed that hour, so... That's not cool, but we're here. Uh, I'm glad you guys made it. Uh, the roads are a little bit bad, but hey, this is like, this, this got nothing on the last, the last storm that we had, so uh, easy, easy stuff. So uh, good morning, guys. My name's Eli. Uh, I lead the teen ministry here in the church, and I also have the privilege of, of bringing you the message today. We are going through a series uh, our, for the year. The theme is Knowing God, and we're going through the Old Testament and, and right now we find ourselves uh, in the midst of the story of Jacob. And so today what we're going to, last week Joel, he kind of uh, talked about Jacob and just the, the themes we can kind of draw out of his story as a whole. And today we're going we're gonna to focus in on a particular episode in his life. And that's going to be found in Genesis chapter 32 where Jacob wrestles with God. It's, it's pretty incredible, amazing thing. And so we're going to talk, we're going to have two points today. We're going to talk about fighting with God in prayer and fighting for the blessing. Okay? So uh, we have, we've been having kind of a pretty, it's probably like a bi-weekly tradition so far in the church of uh, whether either I or Grayson fires a shot at the other. And so... You know, I'm going to spare. I'm going to spare Grace today. I think, honestly, I roasted him good enough on the basketball court yesterday. So, yeah, well, we'll just leave that alone. <laughs> hey. So, <laughs> okay, so this is what's happening in Jacob, with Jacob's life so far. Okay, he, Jacob's, he's, he comes out of the womb. Uh, clutching the, the heel of his brother. He's, his name means deceiver. He, he stole the blessing, the birthright blessing from his brother. He, then he goes to work for his uncle Laban, and they're constantly deceiving one another. And while all this is going on, Jacob ends up having uh, 12 children through four different women. And at this point, you're probably asking yourself, why is Jacob a patriarch? Why do we look up to this guy? Uh, it, you know, the Bible's not meant to paint this kind of idealistic, perfect picture. It's just meant to give us the real picture of life. And, uh, you know, we can relate to Jacob because we have a lot of shortcomings as well. And we're going to look today, though, at really one of, one of the main reasons why uh, Jacob is, is a patriarch. Okay? We're, we're gonna, Jacob is transformed. He has a transformative experience, and we can learn from that. Uh, sometimes God takes us through a crisis, and that crisis it, it kind of marks us. We, we never really forget it, and it's typically through that, this crisis that like a true, like not just a Sunday school, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so, but like a true relationship, intimacy with God comes out of this crisis. And I believe that without a fighting spirit, we're going to talk about fighting today, without a fighting spirit, we will never experience the blessing of complete surrender and life-changing intimacy with God. So we, we see this all around us, okay? Uh, this is why it's so important to talk about fighting, okay? Because the moment that we stop fighting, 
For example, when we stop fighting in our relationship with God through daily Bible reading and daily prayer, when we stop doing that daily, that's when compromise starts to slip in. That's when like, sins start to look a little more attractive and the spiritual disciplines a little less attractive. And, you know, it can even be something as minor as, you know, maybe I just stop inviting people into my home as much because, you know, just a little, it's, it's just a compromise. It just slips in. Right? When we, when we stop fighting for that relationship with God. When we stop fighting for friendship. Okay, friend, we live in a world right now where, I looked at some research this week. Uh, this, this study was published six months ago. Uh, they surveyed 20,000 people in the United States, and they, over half, over half of them were considered lonely. And... It wasn't just like, the survey wasn't like, hey, do you feel lonely, yes or no? It was like an in-depth like, questionnaire. If you scored a certain amount, like, you're lonely. And, and it gets, it gets you, the younger the people are, the younger the generation is, the worse and worse loneliness gets. Because we live in a world where we substitute real, genuine human connection with, with virtual connection. And that loneliness leads to emptiness. And it's just not, not where we want to be. The moment that we stop fighting for our marriage, right? For those of you who are married, it, 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 becomes, it can become very dull quickly. It can become like, you know, the, the analogy of two ships passing in the night so quickly. I've been married for three years, so not a long time. I'm like maybe still considered in like the, you know, the newlywed stage. But we have had weeks, maybe even months, and, and that in three years where it, where it kind of became like that, where we're, we're two ships passing in the night, and we have to fight for that intimacy right. to keep our marriage strong. Right. The moment that we stop fighting temptation, sin is crouching at our door and it desires to have us, and it looks more attractive. The moment we stop fighting for God's church, the more it becomes marginalized, maligned, and looked down upon. We, we live in an age where... It's where church, being a Christian, believing in God, is something that used to have a certain, like, at least level of, of respect. And now it's almost coming to the point where there's, there's just no respect. And it's actually foolish uh, to, to go to church, to believe in God, those, those sorts of things. And so when I talk about fighting, I'm, I'm obviously mentioning the word fighting a lot. We're not talking about fighting like going out UFC, knocking people out. You know, ground and pound. We're not talking about that. We're talking about uh, we're fighting spiritually. If you could throw up the first verses, Josh. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 10.3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our, war- of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And then in Ephesians 6, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So guys, we do not fight, right, like in the physical realm. We're also fighting against forces that are also not in the physical realm. And I believe that prayer is, our, is the best weapon that we have for this fight against the spiritual forces. So... Let's, let's go to Genesis chapter 32, and we're going to talk about our first point of today is fighting in prayer. So we're going to uh, read verses 1 through 8. All right, so Genesis 32, 1 says, 
Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him, the flocks, the herds, the camels, into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And so what's happening, guys, is Jacob's going to meet his brother Esau, whom he completely, previously, several years ago, completely severed his relationship with Esau when he stole the blessing of the birthright. And so... Rightfully so, he sees his brother, his, by the way, his brother's a lot bigger, stronger uh, than him, just, just that, and then he's got 400 men with him, so rightfully so, he's scared, okay? And so, but, but let's, let's back it up just a second. Guys, did you guys notice in verse 1, he, he says, Jacob was on his way and the angels of God met him. Like, whoa, okay, I didn't... I, you know, we just, we just don't think about that like every day, probably. But here's the, what I want to just draw attention to uh, from, from that verse is that you guys realize that since Jacob's on his way, so he's going to where he's going, which is what we do every single day, right? We go to where we go, we do what we do, and that is where the angels of God met him. And if our... In John, Jesus says that God is always, the Father is always working. And if we go through our entire week and there's no angels, there's no hand of God, when we come, when we come to church on Sunday, we'll be lucky to catch a glimpse of the feather of an angel's wings. And what I mean by that is if God's not in our week, we, it doesn't work that way. We don't come to church on Sunday and, and then, bam, we've got God. He has to be in our week. And, and collectively as a unit, if God is not in our week as a unit, as a church, he's, like Cole said, is welcome. He might not show up on Sunday. So we, we need to be looking. We need to have the eyes of faith be looking yeah. for the hand of God. You know, another thing, too, is that the angels, they meet Jacob at his exact time of need. He, he's in great fear. He's distressed. He's banking right now. His, his mind, best case scenario, he loses half of everything he has. So this is his time of need. And what does Jacob do? Well, he prays. Let's read his prayer in verse 9. Let's keep reading. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me. The mothers uh, with the children, but you said... 
I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob, he prays. And uh, may prayer just be our first resort and our last resort, right? A lot of times it's the last resort. Let it be our first resort. Jacob shows, I've read the story of Jacob just several times this week, and this is really the first, in my mind, the, the first sense of like just this true, deep humility that I see from Jacob. He says, I'm not worthy of the least of, these, of all the deeds of steadfast love and faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. He's recognizing, there's something that you don't really see before this in his story, he's recognizing all that God has done for him. We need to recognize that. We need to be aware of that. Another thing, too, that's just, just awesome about Jacob's prayer, why this is a model prayer, is that Jacob clings to the promise of God. Look at verse 12. He says, but you said. He says, God, you said that you will surely do me good and make my offspring as the sand of the sea. He's appealing to God's integrity. Okay? And I don't know, if you guys ever, has anyone ever appealed to your integrity before? So, what I mean is like, you know, if, if I agreed, if, someone, if a brother called me up and said, hey, tomorrow I, I need to use your car, my car is not working, I need to use your car, uh, can I, is it available for me to use it tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, sure, bro, yeah, works great. Then tomorrow comes, he's like, hey, bro, uh, I need to use your car, and I'm like, oh, I'm using it right now. Oh, but you said that you would let me use it. <laughs> so now in this moment, how obligated am I to allow him to use my car? Right? Because now, really, my word is just flat out on the line. If I don't come through, I, I just blew it. Okay? And, and God, he, he always comes through yeah. on his word. And the, honestly, the, the, the person who knows the promises of God the best is the best prayer. They can appeal to God's promises. Let's go ahead and keep on reading. Uh, and we'll, we'll be in verse 22. So we're going to skip down. We're going to skip uh, to verse 22. Basically, in 13 through 19, uh, Jacob just sends a lot of gifts to Esau. He's like, here's, here's some livestock, here's some money, here's some, please do not destroy me. Essentially, and, and, and wisely so at this point. Okay, so picking up in verse 22. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. 
Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So we have just something that's super, well, we definitely have something supernatural going on, okay? So it's crazy to think about this. Jacob is in hand-to-hand combat with a physical manifestation of God. I, I'm not 100% sure whether this is an angel or Jesus himself. It, the story makes it seem like it's, like, just looking at the context and the original, like, it's God that he's wrestling with. And so he's just going hand-to-hand with God for hours on and all through the night. And we see here that Jacob has a fighting spirit because he will not let go. The, he, you guys ever notice it's really hard to... We're talking about fighting in prayer. It's really hard to, to pray like, like this like for a long time. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I get distracted very easily. I fall asleep very easily. Um, it just doesn't look pretty most of the time. And, and the, more, the more spiritual the exercise, the sooner we get tired. You know, an example of this is when Joshua in Exodus was fighting the Amalekites, and, and Moses is lifting his hands in prayer. And every time Moses, his arms started getting tired, so his hands come down. And then that's all of a sudden the Amalekites, they start wailing on the Israelites. And then his brothers come and help him lift his hands up in prayer. And then the Israelites just start wailing on the Amalekites. And it was Moses who was tired. And Joshua is just out there just going ham on people. It was the, it was the spiritual battle that was the tiring, the more tiring one. You know, in regards to prayer, I have a question just to ask you guys. Just think about, is it easier to please God than it is to please man? So let me, let me rephrase that, maybe make it a little easier. Have you ever tried to make everyone happy? Yep. You ever tried to maintain a good reputation and, you know, make sure that all of your relationships uh, with your, you know, your marriage is good, your relationship with each one of your kids is good, and then, you know, work is calling, they're demanding things from you, and, you know, you want them to think you're a good employee, so you do everything they ask you, and you're just pulled in all these directions, and you're just trying to make everybody happy, and how often does everybody end up happy? <laughs> I could not finish that sentence without laughing. It's, it's not easy. And here's the reality is that God is pleased with, this is what the, if we sum up the, the Bible, God is pleased when we faithfully love and obey him. That's what it takes. And the Bible also says in Revelation that our prayers are like incense to him, that they're pleasing in his nostrils. So our prayer, when we think about pleasing God, our prayers please him. And, you know, this is one of those things that I find myself in prayer a lot of times praying to God like I'm a penitent sinner and not his child. And we, the reality is, is that if we are disciples, we are his children, we have the privilege and we have the ability to talk to God like we are his child. 
It's amazing that there's room in our relationship with God to fight with him. Think about when uh, God was talking about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham's like, wait a second, God, if there's 50 righteous people there, will you spare it? And then uh, God's, no. <laughs> what about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? Like, he's, that's, that was bold. And, and ultimately, he, he does actually, I mean, you guys realize he does persuade God to spare the righteous people. And then when Moses, when, when same thing, God was, he, he was, the, the Israelites had just completely, man, they blew it so bad. They already were just idolatrous, making idols, worshiping them. After God just delivered them from slavery. And God's like, man, I, he's angry. And Moses is like, God, but, but remember you said that you're merciful. Remember your namesake is on the line. So there's, it's so incredible that we have this room. Like, God, we, we just shouldn't have that with God. Because he can just be like, oh, you're talking? Silence. <laughs> uh, he can do what he wants, but he listens. And one thing, one thing about God is God is not easily moved. Like, who, who has ever said, you know what, God, actually, this is how I want things to go, and so I'm going to make them go that way. That's never happened. And so God is like the immovable object. He's not an object. But prayer is the only unstoppable force that can move the immovable object. That's it. Think about that when you're praying. That's the only thing in the universe that can move the living God is your prayers. Um, like I was sharing a little bit earlier just about my prayers. It, you know, it's hard sometimes, it's hard all the time to... Well, honestly, to preach, because um, I, I feel like, man, I, I, this is a strong word. I'm hesitant to say it, but I feel like a hypocrite. Um, like, because it, it is hard. It's such a struggle. And I, honestly, I'd say up until like, gosh, I'd say a few weeks ago, I was, my, my prayer life had been fledgling. We'll, we'll use that word. And... You know, it's just really convicted in, by something Samuel says uh, in, in 1 Samuel. He says, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. Samuel saw it as a sin against God to not pray for, the Israel, for his people. So we can apply that to us as when we fail to pray for one another. Do we have that kind of conviction that... It's a sin against God. So church, I just pray that we learn to grab a hold of the horns of the altar at the mercy seat and not let go. Just like Jacob, I'm not letting go. I need a blessing. That we climb, climb to the top of a mountain and grab a handful of rocks and hurl them at the heavens. Lord, I will not stop praying until I have what I am seeking. If we... Have you ever prayed that way? Learn to pray that way. That's, that's the, the type of example we see here with Jacob. And, and I can just, you know, I've had a few of those moments in my life, and they're just, they're, they're so worth it. Like the things that you have to sacrifice to have a, 
a long time in prayer or to, you guys know what I'm saying, to get away, to be with God, it's, it's, it's been more than worth it um, every time. Um, that brings us to point number two, fighting for the blessing. We, man, we haven't even, we've been fighting in prayer, we haven't even fought for the blessing yet. Okay, so Revelation uh, chapter 2, I'm going to share this verse with you guys. I don't, I don't think it's in the PowerPoint, so either turn there or listen. Um, one of the things, we're going to look at some of the things that how Jacob is blessed, right? He, Jacob says, give me a blessing. And, and uh, God says, okay, you're blessed. And then, you know, it's kind of just the end of it. it. So maybe the blessing isn't like super obvious. So we're going to talk about the, actually the, the, the manifold blessing. There's many blessings in this one blessing. So the one thing that God does for Jacob is he gives him a new name. He says, your name will no longer be called Jacob. Your name shall be Israel. Revelation 2.17 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So God says, to those who conquer, so to those who keep fighting, I will give a new name written on a stone, and no one will know that name except for me and you. There's a, an incredible intimacy, there, incredible connection with God. It's, there's something between you and him that only you and him know. In, in ancient culture, names were a little bit more significant. So names are definitely st- still significant today. Uh, but a lot of times we name people based on the like we just like the name or a family like an old family member was named that or we want all of our kids' names to start with the same letter or you know whatever. Okay, in ancient culture, a name was usually more significant than that. It had had more to do with someone's calling, someone's purpose, and so it's in that context that. We receive a new name. We also receive, we receive a new calling. We receive a new purpose in Christ when we're given a new name. And that's, that is a blessing, that we have something so great and incredible to live for. One of the other blessings that Jacob receives is a limp. You say, wait, how is that a blessing? Jacob has a limp. And here's one thing I've observed about God is that he makes sure everyone has a limp. Think, think Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 when he said, talks about the thorn and his flesh. This wouldn't go away. God's my grace is sufficient for you. There's a reason we all have a limp. So, so that we can depend, so that we can rely on God. And that... And it truly is a blessing because I, whether it's in this life or the next, you will look back on that, that, limp, that thing that made you limp your whole life. When you look back, that's when God's light will have shown the brightest in your life. Right. Man, I met, I met God. It's kind of that benchmark that I was referring to earlier. That mark that you just don't forget and you know, I'd say that I met God in the trenches of 
physical agony. You know, just it, it was a few years ago. I remember, actually, I was working with I was with Kenny at, at Men's Warehouse, and you know, my wife and son was in between jobs, and so it was just it was kind of a, a tough financial time, and I'm just trying we're I'm just trying to make it, and I get a call from the doctor, and he's like, I'm at work, and he's like, you need to come to the hospital, based on like some test results and stuff like that, and so. That was a huge, and I had to go like for multiple days, and that was, was a huge, I was so defeated in that, in that moment. It was like, I'm just trying, you know, I'm just trying to make it, make, make it work. What's going on here? And, well, and needless to say, even, even now, I mean, <clears throat> that, I have shared with you guys, a lot of, most of you guys, multiple occasions about, some of the health issues and things like that, but that, that has been such, such a blessing. My limp has constantly brought me back to the Lord. Another final aspect of the blessing is, is the blessing of complete surrender. It's so funny that we have to have a fighting spirit to, to receive the blessing of complete surrender. Like, What? Okay, But that's what Jacob receives. So here's the thing, guys. Jacob actually, the angel says, you have, or God says, you have striven with man and with God, and you have overcome. So, and, and, and God is like, look, it's daylight. I have to go, so you need to let go. And... So at that point, when Jacob won't let go, he's like, here, let me just touch you right in the hip. Okay, all right, now, now you can let me go because you're done. <laughs> but basically, how did Jacob, he, he won. That's, that's what it says, it says he won. He won a wrestling match with God. How does that happen? Well, I will tell you exactly how that happens, actually. Would any of you guys believe me if I told you that when I was five years old, I was the wrestling champion of the world? Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to straight, I'm not, no lie, no, I'm going to straight boast for a second, okay, just letting it fly, okay, but I'm, I'm going to boast about my, my father. My dad is, he's, he's strong as an ox, okay, on his 50th birthday, he rolled out of bed, went to the gym, and put up 325 pounds on the bench press. Like, I've been lifting weights for over a decade, because he's, he's better than I can do, okay? He, he's strong, and, but when, when I was f five years old, that man, in, in his 200-plus pound frame, I would wrestle to the ground and stand on top of his chest with my arms raised in glorious victory. Now, how did that happen? Because he, it's obvious, he let me win. God, he, he made himself weak. And that's what God does. He makes himself weak. Do these words resound with you? Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. 
but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, God in his infinite wisdom, he, he, he weakens himself but it's just so amazing because God still wins in the end because it's through Israel that the Messiah who takes away the sin of the world will come. We are going to uh, wrap up in Genesis 33:20. It's just a short little verse, but there's a lot there. It says, so, at, so this is a chapter later. Basically, actually things with Esau go pretty well. Esau is like, bro, I, I, it's pretty amazing, actually, the, the, the grace that Esau has and how much he wants the relationship to be restored between him and Jacob. So things go well. And it says in Genesis thirty-three twenty, there he set up an altar and he called it El Elohi Israel. Now, if you guys notice that up to this point, like when we looked at Jacob's prayer earlier, earlier he refers to God in his prayer, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. But you guys realize something that Jacob has a new name. It's Israel. And what El Elohi Israel means is mighty is the God of Israel. And in other words, Jacob is saying mighty is my God. It's no coincidence that the, that the land, that the people of God, that the Israelites are named after, the, the name, their title is the people who strive, who contend with God. So here, here's what we need to do. If, if you guys are, if you're visiting here today, you've been kind of maybe just coming out a couple times, this is your first time, you need to, you need to fight for your faith, you need to dig into this. We have a, stu a Bible study series called Follow Me. Whoever invited you, ask them about it. Okay, dig into God's Word. Start, start fighting for that relationship with God. If you are currently, if you're in the midst of those studies, you need to wrestle and fight until you have clarity. Like, clarity. What? Don't let go until God tells you exactly what to do. Don't give up. If you've been a disciple for a long time, are you still wrestling? Are you still, are you still fighting for that intimacy with God? May, may, it, may it not be you know, your 10, 20-minute checkoff. Check off the list. May we still fight. When, when our self-reliance is undercut, when our self-righteousness is exposed and when our carefully crafted illusions of the good life are extinguished. When we finally, by the grace of God, come to, end, come to the end of ourselves, we must fight. Without a fighting spirit, we will never experience the blessing of full surrender and a life-changing intimacy with God. But with a fighting spirit, we will receive the manifold blessing, a new name, a new purpose, a limp, a benchmark, and full surrender. Wherever, then wherever you go, wherever you set up your tent, like, like 32.1 said, and even the psalm in today's psalm and prayer, 
So when you set up your tent, the angels of God will be with you. Wherever you go, you can call that place Mahanaim, because there will be two camps. God will be with you.